You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to Soupcast, coming to you from Archaeosoup Towers. By popular demand, we're taking selected videos from the Archaeosoup back catalogue and bringing them to you as convenient podcasts. As the name implies, with Archaeosoup you get a bit of everything thrown into the pot. Archaeology, discussion, humour and debate. You can find out more at archaeosoup.com. So sit back, relax and enjoy our hearty helping of Archaeosoup. Hello and welcome back to Watching Brief for the week of the 11th of April 2022. I am joined as ever by the superb Mr Andy Brockman, who I gather is quite looking forward to a bank holiday weekend. It's Easter weekend and those of us who are sane and or paid by people who um, uh, who, who aren't ourselves are trying to get four days in a row off. Now, I don't fall into either of those categories necessarily, but I promise Mrs. Soup I'll try. <laughs> so, so, so what's your weekend looking like? Um, pretty similar to yours. I actually, I, I, I shipped a piece of work, which I, was, uh, I, need, uh, I need to get it on, uh, uh, out the door uh, this morning. So I'm now clear until Tuesday. Excellent. So, Excellent. Uh, yeah, and, and we've got sunshine outside and forget nuts in the garden and it's all looking really rather nice and peaceful. Uh, aren't we just so lucky? We are indeed. We are lucky indeed. Very fortunate. And um, in this week's Watching Brief, before we try and take a little bit of time off, we're going to be talking in the second half with regards to, uh, unfortunately, the government falling foul of planning laws once again. Uh, this stuff is important as it does pertain to the urban, the cult, the, the countryside environment and also the historic environment. Um, for example, we've seen the government uh, having been found to have acted unlawfully in and around uh, the vicinity of Stonehenge uh, in recent months. Um, so so, uh, so we're going to be looking at that. Um, but but before we, we, we go there, uh, we're going to start with a little uh, up some of what's happened since we last spoke on Watching Brief because it, we did we didn't technically do a Watching Brief last week. We wanted to give the previous episode some space to breathe, and uh, we just wanted just to summarise, um, I suppose, Archie World UK's response to the situation in Ukraine, and um, and initially, I mean, we 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 touched on the fact that that CIFA, for example, the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists, had initially tweeted seemingly in response to other people sharing a hashtag that, that, that we had helped to launch. Um, uh, we also put touch on the fact that FAME blocked us as well in that, in that, in that flurry of activity. But since then, other things have happened. And, um, uh, well, would you like to, to start? Yeah, we'll start. Um, we'll start at the, um, at the British end and then we'll sort of expand out to, uh, updates on what's been going on uh, Europe-wide and worldwide with organisations like the UN. Mm. Um, we flagged up previously that um, British Archaeology, the magazine of the Council for British Archaeology that's edited by Mike Pitts, yes. um, was going to carry material about Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, the, um, the issue uh, concerned uh, was published last Friday. Uh, it's now available in uh, bookshops if you, uh, if, you, if you can find a hard copy. Mm -hmm. um, it's also available online if you have a subscription. Mm -hmm. um, but the Ukraine material, um, which Mike published it, uh, promised and published in the uh, in the, the magazine, section. yeah, in the letter section of the magazine, yeah, um, is actually available f uh, 
it's been taken out from behind the paywall and, it, and you can download it and read it and share it. So that, that's a really great move on the part of... Very commendable, uh, yeah. Of the magazine, absolutely. Now, I, the, it, it was briefly unavailable um, for, for an unknown number of days, but certainly a couple of days, um, possibly due to a website glitch, uh, it seems. So maybe there was a website update, we're not quite sure. Uh, but unless it is back available again, um, just in case anyone's following this on our Twitter feeds, and uh, that we'll have the link below accordingly. That's right. And, 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 and I, I do urge people to read, particularly the two letters. Now, uh, they will have been written a month or so ago now, um, so they're not reflecting up to the minute issues but that's not really important because you can you can follow that material with, with organizations like unesco and so on, which we're going to talk about in a bit mm -hmm. um what you have really are two um longish letters that are worth reading um one is from uh fedir androschuk who is the director general of the national museum of the history of ukraine mm -hmm. in kiev um and a second letter which is a uh, uh, when you read it, you'll see it's necessarily anonymous um, from a, uh, it would appear to be um, an academic, probably a UK academic, who has been working with colleagues in Russia mm. and putting uh, in, in conflict archaeology, we talk about the view from the other side of the hill. Mm -hmm. In other words, that you have to look at and reflect on information from both sides in a conflict. Mm. Otherwise, you can't get a fair picture. Mm. And that in particular raises some very interesting and quite knotty issues I'll come to in a minute. Um, the, um, the, the, the letter from, the letter from uh, Fedor Androshuk um, really talks about the response in the very early hours of the invasion of the war mm -hmm. um, on the part of his museum community and um, talks about, for example, uh, the steps that were taken using actually a, a Cold War protocol that was set up under the Warsaw Pact, ironically enough, um, about protecting uh, artworks and cultural material from uh, from what's described as mass damage. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they, for example, triage exhibits between what are of sort of national importance, but also and others that are of you know, international importance of, of, of universal world value to mm. use the kind of jargon that you'd use in the, um, in the museum as well. Uh, I'm not going to quote either of these letters in detail, really, just to highlight the fact that you know, they are two very important views and they really put you in the shoes of people having to make decisions that most of us would never hope to have to make in our academic lives in our, in our um, careers as archaeologists and public archaeologists. Yeah. Um, you know, in the one case, facing physical destruction, mm -hmm. potentially, mm -hmm. and also, you know, members of staff who we've seen elsewhere in social media and so on, um, museum workers, heritage workers in Ukraine, working on protecting cultural sites and then getting into combat fatigues, picking up a rifle and going off to fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the other hand, uh, from the other side of the hill, um, it talks about the regret, the missed opportunities, the difficulty of talking about uh, the issues even in a society where the state is um, basically doesn't allow open debate and in fact if you argue against the and certainly if you you're seen to come out against the war in public you face uh now i think it's 10 to 15 years potentially in jail mm. in russia mm. 
Um, but it also talks about just the, the little things, the, the things that might, people might not realise. For example, um, what happens if you want to licence an image, say, from a Russian museum for an academic paper or for a book, and sanctions mean you can't actually pay for it. Yes, yeah. Mm. So, um, but also, you know, uh, uh, argues, you know uh, around the idea of, is an academic boycott in these circumstances a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, people might be familiar with those arguments going right back to the sporting and cultural boycotts of apartheid South Africa in the 70s, 80s and early 90s. Um, and the argument there was that it hastened the end of apartheid. Mm. Um, the question is now, is it actually better to continue to interact with Russian colleagues as individuals who may be privately will disown the policies of the Putin government um, because maintaining contact is more important than what some people would argue a, a performative act like um, like a boycott. Mm, yeah. So knotty, knotty and difficult issues. Certainly, um, and they're available in uh, in that PDF. Again, as I say, we'll put the link below. Um, in addition to that, we also managed to hunt down um, a screen grab because I, I actually called every Debrate Smith uh, news agent in, the, in within a 90-minute drive of me and couldn't find a physical copy of British Archaeology magazine. So thankfully, one of uh, one of the wonderful people who follow Archaeosoup on Facebook took a photo of um, the digital copy on their phone, and uh, they, it contained a brief statement from uh, Neil Redfern. Now, I'll read this statement out, but what I will say is this statement... Um, first of all, it echoes something that the CBA have already said. And secondly, it could have easily been a three-tweet thread weeks ago. Um, I'm, not, I'm still not sure to entirely what value it is being published in a relatively niche magazine here in the UK instead of being on Twitter. But nonetheless, this, is, this, this was his statement. Um, after all, he is doing his best. We are all aware of the devastating war in Ukraine and the destruction and the impact on people's lives a part of which is reflected in the letters page of this magazine, as we've just been discussing. As a small charity promoting archaeology in the UK, the Council for British Archaeology, CBA, is not in a position to take an active role in proffering advice or campaigning about the war, its effects on heritage, um, or its effects on heritage. However, as director of the CBA, I say we fully support the people of Ukraine and those organisations who have a direct role in helping them. Their suffering is at the forefront of all of our thoughts. So uh, that was a very welcome statement, and uh, and it was released in the um, in the most recent issue of British Archaeology magazine. And I think we'll leave our viewers to decide for themselves whether or not that is adequate. Um, all I would say is that other archaeological bodies are being more proactive in terms of talking about uh, issues of, uh, such as um, protecting cultural heritage. I'll come on to the UNESCO uh, information that's been coming out about what's been happening to cultural mm -hmm. sites in Ukraine in a minute. Um, but also, as well, tra question. traditionally, as you pointed out previously, uh, CBA was one of those organisations that, that was involved in highlighting the need for uh, the Hague Convention. Actually, the, the UK archaeology community, many individuals and many organisations uh, lobbied over a number of years for the UK government to ratify 
the Hague Convention on, on the Protection of Cultural mm. Material in, in, in Conflict Zones. Mm. It was, it was a, the convention was um, uh, was written in 1954. I think it was uh, it wasn't until uh, I think 2017 that the UK actually ratified, and it was seen as a big win for archaeology. Mm. Um, so I think I'm not going to pick out CBA here, no, no. Um, but um, the the leading bodies, several of the leading bodies in UK archaeology, including CBA, but also CIFA and uh, and, and FAME, the uh, Federation of Archaeology, Archaeology Archaeological Man Managers and Employers. Um, none of them have cited the importance of The Hague, even though they or their members were involved in getting the UK to ratify. So it do there does seem to be a little bit of a, of a disconnect there. Mm. Mm. Um, so I suppose stepping uh, away from our um, archie world, uh, we then have um, a, there was a, a policy paper, an open letter to UNESCO World Heritage Committee, uh, published on the gov.uk website, wasn't there? That's right. Um, this is uh, a letter to the members of the UNESCO World Heritage Committee, which is a branch of UNESCO, United Nations Education, Scientific and Cultural Organisation. Um, it was published on the 8th of April, and it is connected with the fact that by pure accident, and somewhat ironically, uh, the next meeting of that committee is due to be held in Kazan in Russia in the summer and under the chairmanship of the Russian Federation. Mm, mm. Now, um, the letter um, basically asks the World Heritage Committee to remove the meeting from Kazan and remove Russia as the chair. Mm. Um, they argue that, um, uh, for example, uh, I'll, I'll just quote a couple of uh, few short paragraphs. We'll, we'll link to the entire letter. It's not very long, but mm -hmm. uh, we'll link to the whole thing. Um, it says, on 24th February 2022, Russia launched an armed offensive against Ukraine. One month later, intense fighting continues with hundreds of lives lost and the buildings and sometimes entire cities devastated. According to figures recently released by the UNESCO Secretariat, 53 cultural buildings, historical built monuments, places of worship, libraries, etc., have been damaged or destroyed by 31 March, and it's likely that figure has since risen. Mm. Um, it, the, it then says article 6.3 of the 1972 world heritage convention states each state party to this convention undertakes not to take any deliberate measures which might damage directly or indirectly indirectly cultural or natural heritage referred to in various articles um, situation in the territory of other states parties of this convention it is impossible for the 45th session of the World Heritage Committee to be held either in Kazan or under Russian presidency while the latter is destroying, quotes, outstanding universal value in Ukraine. The credibility of UNESCO and the 1972 Convention protecting the world's cultural and natural heritage is at stake. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and on a similar uh, note, actually, um, uh, I believe this is probably published on the 11th of April, uh, UNESCO uh, issued a statement um, with regards to the damaged cultural sites in Ukraine that have been verified by UNESCO. Um, now, they, 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 they hasten to add that no UNESCO heritage sites have been damaged. World heritage sites. World heritage sites, sorry, have been damaged, yeah. to be clear. But, um, but as of the 11th of April, UNESCO has verified damage to 90 sites, um, and since the 24th of February, 44 religious buildings um, 
six museums, 25 historical buildings, three theatres, 11 monuments and one library have been destroyed or damaged. Um, UNESCO, UNESCO is conducting a preliminary damage assessment for cultural properties. The term cultural property here refers to immovable cultural property as defined under Article 1 of the 1954 Hague Convention. Convention. Uh, irrespective of its origin, ownership or status of, of registration in the national uh, inventory and um, facilities and monuments dedicated to culture and including mem uh, memorials. And they go on to give a, a detailed list by region uh, in uh, in Ukraine. Um, so I think that's, that's probably a, that's a very sensible letter to send. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Russia isn't able to to act in what would appear to be a bad faith role um, if they do go forward, um, or if they were allowed to go forward. I mean, they've also been removed from the um, the UN uh, Human Rights um, Council. Council, that's it. Yes. Yeah. So we, we, you know, understandably, <laughs> understandably. Um, now, it's worthwhile pointing out, um, one of the things that we were advocating um, uh, and that we were, we were encouraging other people to suggest to uh, friends and colleagues in archaeology uh, was to do with, here in the UK, the Homes for Ukraine scheme. Um, uh, we we, uh, we initially had a, a request to make it clear that we weren't asking in, um, archaeological bodies to do this, but rather people maybe as individuals acting um, within the Homes for Ukraine scheme. And it is worthwhile saying that the Homes for Ukraine scheme is not perfect. It is the only official scheme that our country is offering for people who are fleeing conflict in Ukraine. Um, and uh, given that today, this morning, in fact, uh, our Prime Minister announced a scheme whereby refugees from uh, other countries will be, uh, or sorry, certain refugees from other countries, notably young men, are likely to be sent off to Rwanda to either live in that, quote, um, dynamic country, or uh, in the spirit of being a beacon of freedom and, was it freedom and hope? or no, Freedom and generosity, wasn't it? Uh, being permitted to fulfill, uh, fill out their refugee forms in Rwanda before they, uh, having got to Britain, before they were allowed to come back to Britain, if they are. Um, the Homes for Ukraine scheme actually does look rather generous by comparison, I would say. Um, however, it is not perfect. And um, there are uh, a couple of reports that we're linking to below uh, where it is being criticised. Now, notably, it's being criticised primarily for being shoddy. Um, we have a link here from... And, to, and too slow and cumbersome. Well, precisely, yeah. A uh, link here from MSN Home um, or MSN.com. Homes of Ukraine scheme um, this is written by Molly Blackhall, I believe. As a Briton hoping to host the Ukrainian family under the Homes of Ukraine scheme, the person that she was interviewing said that it took two days to complete their complex visa applications, even though she designs government systems for a living. Uh, else, uh, Elise Jones, who lives in Liverpool, is trying to host a family of four, two sisters-in-law um, and their children, a five-year-old girl and a seven-year-old boy. Um, the family tried for an entire day to fill out forms but could not manage it um, and so handed it over to Ms Jones. I designed government services for a living, she said, and it took me two six-hour days to do four visa forms. It's that complex. Even now, I have no confidence that I have done it right. Uh, she completed the forms on the 23rd of March, um, and uh, but two applicants did not have an international passport, so had to go to visa application centre to process, and so on and so forth. So 
it's complicated, it is drawn out, it's making uh, some people's lives very difficult. There is reports of Ukrainian families giving up altogether and just going back to a war zone because they can't stay in northern Italy or in, uh, you know, wherever else that, that they, they appear to be, uh, while people here in the UK who are offering them their homes try and uh, make their way through this scheme. With regards to the Ukrainian war, the minister who took uh, in a refugee um, has said that the friendship that she has achieved through taking in this refugee will last a lifetime, but there are issues with the scheme. This is the story of Environment Minister Victoria Prentice, who has taken a Ukrainian woman into her Oxfordshire home as part of the Homes for Ukraine scheme. She said that, that she has a developed a relationship that will last the rest of their lives, but admit that there have been problems with the scheme. Uh, so far, just 15% of 32,200 visa applications received under the government's Home for the Ukraine scheme have been granted. Ministers for Refugees uh, Lord Harrington has admitted that the government was not geared up uh, not ready for the volume of Ukrainians seeking refuge in the UK. Um, it turns out that Ukrainians really do want refuge in the UK, apparently. Um, Mrs Prentice said uh, that there was not a moment of indecision before she decided to take on uh, Vika, who um, is, has stated that she's incredibly grateful for, for the opportunity to come and, and uh, seek refuge. Um, she is welcome to stay as long as she needs, the minister said. However, groups like Conservative Home and others are, in addition to pointing out the fact that it is difficult and a cumbersome process, that there are questions at this stage as to what happens after the six months of the scheme are up. Uh, one can only presume that the scheme will con continue in some form while it's required, but obviously that hasn't been confirmed. So there is another question mark there with regards to the Homes for Ukraine scheme. It isn't uh, um, specifically, for example, a jobs scheme. It is a homes scheme and where people are, are welcome to come and work and live in the UK uh, while they are here. So... Um, Oh, well, and also in addition to this, uh, there's another figure here from The Independent, just 1,200 Ukrainian refugees in the UK. And UK homes under sponsorship scheme is 71% of applicants are still waiting. So the figures are high, whether it's in the 80s or the 70s, it is a slow process. Needless bureaucracy and delays, uh, ministers have been accused of, um, and also squandering British generosity. So, um, yeah, it's not perfect, but it's what we got. Um, what, what, what do you think, Andy? Well, it, it's not perfect, but it is what we've got. Uh, it is pretty much the uh, only way, f realistic way for Ukraine uh, refugees from Ukraine to come to the UK mm -hmm. at the moment without the even worse bureaucracy of things like work visas. Mm. Um, now, there are a couple of other uh, things I think I'd like, just like to add. Um, as of this morning, the... Scottish government has announced a new initiative whereby students from Ukraine taking up full-time FE and AG uh, courses from the new academic year beginning in the autumn mm -hmm. uh, will, will not have to pay for tuition and will also get support for their living costs. Um, they've also announced a scheme for existing uh, students from Ukraine who might have trouble, for example, if their parents can't send them money. Okay. Um, and are we certain so, that those students wouldn't rather that we simply gave them weapons? That's not what this is about. Okay. Um, this is this is this is about people who are in country who are in education, mm -hmm. and um, the, as I say, the Scottish government at least it, it, it has has announced this scheme. It, it's not immediately effective. It ha um, they have to tweak Scottish education legislation, mm -hmm. but um, that um, uh, given that the uh, SNP um, along with the Greens former government there um, yeah. 
it's it's pretty much like it, it's it's going to happen. So, so, you know, there are, so, so once again, it's a scheme that's responding to a need to identify precisely, things. precisely yeah. that, precisely that. Yeah. And I think again, it, it's worth highlighting the the need. This again, the probably the best data is from the UNHCR, the UN High Commission for Refugees. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a sort of gold standard for figures, and I, I think. Um, people will understand and 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 and, uh, and of course and and as they uh another un official said yesterday that you know, there are many other crises going on in the world mm -hmm. um in in yemen in ethiopia and tigray which we mentioned on watching brief previously yeah and which um, i actually checked i've been tweeting about this stuff for a decade andy i just exactly. i just thought i'd highlight that you know apropos of yeah, nothing of it, course exactly you know we've been we have been covering these stories so these stories for some time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but uh, Ukraine has you know, Ukraine is is particularly massive. It's happened particularly quickly, and because we're dealing with at least on the one side, one of the world's two main nuclear powers, it has potentially global implications. Yeah. So I, I think we're absolutely justified in highlighting it. It's, um, it's the second largest largest country by land mass in our continent. You know, so on and so forth, so, and so on and so on. And so, on. Yeah. so just to, just to put the whole thing in context, yeah. since the twenty fourth of February, UNHCR estimates that four million seven hundred thirty six thousand four hundred seventy one people, up to end of yesterday, thirteen April, mm -hmm. have become refugees from Ukraine. Yeah, that's just since the uh, since the the, the the war the war began. Yeah. Um, Poland has taken. Almost two point seven. Almost two point seven million. Uh, Romania seven hundred sixteen thousand seven hundred ninety seven. Mm -hmm. um, Hungary uh, getting uh, almost a quarter of a million. Mm -hmm. Moldova, one of the smallest countries in and poorest countries poorest, in, yeah. in Europe, um, almost four hundred eighteen thousand, mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and and so on. Um, and the. Again, the UN estimates that the, the entire Ukrainian diaspora in the UNHCR's Europe region, so mm -hmm. the, the countries most immediately affected, including Britain, mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously this includes people who are already working away from country, were in education, were, were in work or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's, um, it, it's something like five million. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, 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 it's, um, you're adding almost as many again to that diaspora. Mm -hmm. And just to compare those figures again, that's uh, almost 2 million refugees have gone to Poland. 2.7 million. 2.7, so almost 3 million, okay. Yeah, and, yeah. and at the moment, uh, as of a couple of days ago, Britain has accepted 1,200 refugees in the Homes for Ukraine scheme. Yes. Okay. Okay. And I, I should just add, I'm, I'm currently working on a story um, about how archaeologists have tried to engage with the Homes for Ukraine scheme. Okay, uh, moving on to the second portion of this week's Watching Brief, we have a story of how uh, our government has fallen foul once again of the planning system. Um, the, uh, uh, the proposal for a Holocaust learning centre and uh, memorial, um, not too far from the grounds of Westminster, uh, have, uh, well, it sounds quite complicated. What's actually happened? Because this has been floating around for a little while now, hasn't it? It has, and we've covered the story before. Hmm. Um, basically, the um, a memorial trust um, was set up to 
uh, create a monument, a national monument and learning center mm -hmm. to uh, remember the Holocaust. Yes. Um, it was uh, a design was commissioned uh, from a JA Associates and Ron Arad Architects, mm. um, very high profile um, architectural uh, firms. Um, and the situation was that although the local authority had, uh, which is Westminster, had refused planning permission um, because of the sensitivity of the site, which is the Victoria Tower Garden, the proposed site, the Victoria Tower Garden, which mm. is a triangular public park at the western end, the upstream end of the, of the Houses of Parliament. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the, 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 the Holocaust, the, the, the trust who, who wanted the project to go ahead uh, were uh, adamant that they felt it should be uh, close to the seat of government to reflect um, the involvement of the government for good and ill in the period of the Holocaust. Uh, in, in, and, and um, for example, in, uh, strangely enough, keeping refugees from Europe out in the period running up to September 1939. Mm -hmm. Yeah, things like the kinder transport. Um, and, yeah. Which, yes, things like the kinder transport, which mm -hmm. were in fact were, were private operations mm -hmm. um, run uh, by human beings trying to be charitable to other human beings uh, and often opposed by government officials. Right, interesting. So, yeah, so, yeah, there, so there, there, sense, there are all sorts of... In that sense, the education is, is arguably you know, required. It's, it's a good thing to have, have available. Yeah. Yeah. Abs, abs, absolutely. And, yeah. And, and it has to be said, none of the campaigners um, opposing this project mm. uh, oppose the idea of a national Holocaust Memorial for the United Kingdom. No. Everybody said, but the, the, the slogan has been, and we're, we're using it on our, um, on, on, on our um, publicity for this video, right idea, wrong place. Yeah. 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 Um, the problem as opponents saw it, were, were, were really twofold. One is that it's one of the few public green spaces in that part of London, and this would have been quite a substantial imposition, albeit an architecturally interesting one. Yeah. Um, but it, well, it, well, uh, well, actually, I should, I should tell you, the, I mean, the image, the the, the proposal in terms of um, a, a sort of a, 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 a projection as to what it might have looked like is quite striking. I mean, it uh, consisted hmm. of um, 23 bronze fins uh, seemingly almost uh, leaning and then, then sort of falling like dominoes and um, uh, in a concrete kind of basin that led towards at one end, you can see um, part of the of, of Westminster Palace there. So it, it, it would have been quite striking, but as you say, at, at the expense of that green space. That, that's right. It's called Victoria Tower Gardens. Uh, it, it's also famous for uh, hosting, for example, uh, the, um, the the statue to the, uh, the Burghers of Calais, mm -hmm. um, the Rodin uh, mm -hmm. statue, mm -hmm. um, and also to um, uh, early um, women parliamentarians and so on. So, you know, it, it's... Um, I mean, in fact, I, I remember um, I, I was there shortly after... Uh, the um, the murder of the Labour MP Joe Cox just before the Brexit referendum, mm -hmm. and um, there was a, an impromptu um, commemoration shrine to her memory in in that garden. Mm. It was private, it was quiet, it was an appropriate place, and people were adopting it mm. um, to, to to make their feelings known in that in that very sad circumstance. So you know, the, 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 there is precedent for the park being used for contemplation. But the idea was that this was just too big a project um, in an area where traffic access is 
poor, it's busy. Um, there are very, obviously, it works both ways with something uh, um, like a, a memorial to the Holocaust because sadly security considerations have to yeah. be taken into account. So the idea was it's, it's also a secure location. It's one of the most secure locations in London in terms of how much it's watched by police yeah. and security services. Yeah. So you know, well, actually, had things uh, on, on that front, so I can just tell you a, a, a little anecdote. Um, I have a friend who used to work in, oh, is it called the Jewel Tower? Next to Westminster, um, just on Westminster Abbey, College yes. Green, I think it is. Yes, yeah, um, next to Westminster Abbey. Yeah, yeah. and um, no, 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 no it's, it's in the shadow of, of Parliament. It's in the shadow of Parliament, um, the, the Jewel Tower, yeah. Both. Oh, is it in both? Oh, sorry, I don't, okay. Yeah. Okay, fine, fine. It's, 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 oh, actually, I'm speaking to London. The clues in the name, I'm, Westminster, Mark. It's called Westminster. It's one place, you idiot. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. Um, you're, you're from out of town. You know, I know. You, you I'm a, this, you... Yeah, I'm a simpleton from up north. Um, right. But 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 the <laughs> Jewel Tower, the Jewel Tower. Um, he said uh, it, it's it's run by the National Trust, and, and he said that he was told um, that they weren't allowed to go on the roof for any reason without phoning. Um, well, phoning a particular office that would then radio the police to say someone's going out on the roof. Uh, you know, if, yes. whether that was decorating or, you know, uh, checking for leaks or something, whatever the reason, you could get shot um, because because you might you might be seen as someone who's there to, you know, uh, to, to do ill to people who are passing in and around Parliament. So, yeah, it's a very, very yes. secure area, um, even for employees of the National Trust. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, sorry that wasn't a side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, the, the thing is, the, the, this this whole process has taken something like eight years. It was originally announced by David Cameron when mm. he was still prime minister. Mm. Um, it, uh, it's five years since uh, Ajay and Arad were appointed to come up with the plan. Mm. It's been through planning inquiries, uh, local authority planning committees, mm. um, and eventually the decision ended up with the government. Mm. Um, a government minister, basically um, a man called uh, Christopher Pincher, who was then the housing minister, because mm -hmm. planning comes under the um, housing communities and local government portfolio, mm. um, essentially waved through the plan um, in, in spite of the fact that the government was actually the applicant in yeah. that um, the, the opponents argued that the the UK Holocaust Memorial Foundation was essentially a, a part of the government. The government had driven the project. Mm, mm. Um, Pincher said that he made the decision based on the advice from the planning inspectorate because there had been a public inquiry in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, the cutting to the chase, we are where we are now um, because the, um, the London uh, Historic Parks and Garden Trust took the case to judicial review, mm. um, which we've talked about before in connection with Stonehenge, as you mentioned right at the top of the show. Mm -hmm. um, it is one of the few tools that uh, opponents to schemes of any kind or government actions of any kind have mm. when they believe that something inappropriate has happened, including a, a government body, a government minister acting unlawfully. Yes. Um, what happened here was that following a judicial review in um at the end of uh, march into april um mrs justice thornton um it, these cases are seen by a single a single judge yeah um 
ruled that the whole public inquiry and planning report weren't valid. And that was because a, um, a historian, in fact, someone who used to work at the House of Commons, um, had written an argument that the planning decision hadn't taken into account the London County Council brackets improvements end brackets act 1900 yeah mm. now the importance of that that act act of parliament contains a clause which says that the Victoria Tower garden should be maintained as a garden in perpetuity right yeah and that was a material consideration and it hadn't been considered and it should have been and therefore Mrs Justice Thornton quashed the planning permission Mm. So the government was in a, in, a, in a weird position there where, um, I mean, they, I, I'm sure some people in the current government would say that the previous government was a different, a whole different kettle of fish back in 2016. But, uh, but unless they were sort of judging the validity of their own proposal um, and, and it also as well falling foul of this, of, of, of this particular law from 19, uh, provisions, sorry, for, for the park in, in 1900, yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the point was, you know, there had been a written submission warning them about this, mm. warning them that the, the London County Council Improvements Act was relevant, mm. and they'd ignored it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, you know, um, it, in a sense, what, what Mr Justin, uh, Justine Thornton was saying um, was that um, they, you know, be more careful next time, guys. You know, mm. um, don't ignore, um, don't ignore relevant legislation. Hmm. Yeah, we should say we've we've linked to the PDF um, that contains of the entire the, judgment of the judgment below. So yeah, you can check yeah. that out if you're if you're really interested. And also the um, the blog post um, by Joshua Rosenberg. Uh, Wrong place, right ruling. And, and, and again, it's interesting. It's interesting to point out that the the opposition to this hasn't just been. Um, from people at the, um, the, the the London Parks and Gardens uh, Society, the um, many members of the Jewish community have also opposed this for various different reasons. But mm. you know, it, 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 it's not in, in any way, um, uh, uh, you know, even 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 underlying an anti-Semitic argument. No, uh, well, it's. It's well, absolutely about planning and appropriateness of place. Yeah, yeah, and so, so I mean, so some of those arguments have been, some of those questions have been surrounding the meaning as well. Because actually, from yes. above, there's this sort of great grand sweeping path that leads up to an earthwork that then encompasses the the, the bronze fins. It's quite, it's a very elegant shape, but people are asking, what does this, what does this mean anyway? You know, and so, so the, yeah, some of that stuff. But regardless, lawyers representing the government have argued um, that there was no error of law, um, and uh, in the decision making process in this instance and the policy was not misinterpreted or misapplied so uh i, I think they're trying to say let's agree to disagree <laughs> yeah and and, 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 oh, and by the way it wasn't the party and the cake never came out of the tupperware I, I, that, um, that's going to be the least of their problems apparently there's more coming down the track there um but anyway government lawyers and 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 the people who are backing the national holocaust memorial uh, mm. will be considering the next moves we've all, we're also linking to a um one of the latest articles about this which is an upsum from the architect's journal and it basically says it ain't all over yet um yeah. but uh, essentially, the government could appeal the decision, or they might lose again. Mm -hmm. um, it could have another planning inquiry. Mm -hmm. It could even go as so far 
uh, go so far as repealing the London County Council Improvements Act 1900 to get rid of the legal obstacle. Um, or it could <laughs> which, which they can or do, it, yeah, yeah. Which they, which they can do. Yeah. Um, but then that will still lead, but all of those activities will still leave them into further planning inquiries and potential for more judicial reviews. Which, um, which, which is which is really crucial here, and this is probably where we need to sort of underscore and maybe round it up with it with a reminder that it's judicial review that that uh, that highlighted what was quote unlawful with regards to Stonehenge. Um, the, the judicial yeah, review yeah. is also the thing that that people who have fallen foul of judicial review have seemingly described as being inconvenient and 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 getting in the way of the business of government moving at a pace that it would like to move on 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 certain yeah. issues so yes. so we're highlighting this partly because i mean it may sound like a very niche british uk london part of london planning issue but actually it's important because this is exactly the mo those moments where uh where judicial review where the minutiae of law where the um the budgets that come into these sorts of things are very very important to take a look at before yes. before jumping on the bandwagon i guess or before 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 you know saying yes or no to it and there's, there's a lot more that goes into it and and long long may we keep judicial review you know in, by, in, by no means is it guaranteed for forever no, it, you know, it, it, it's well. To, to coin a phrase, it's, it's use it or lose it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and if there is a threat to lose it, then fight for it, mm. because as you say, it is one of the few tools that civil society has yeah. to stand up to government when government has clearly acted unlawfully, or at the very least, yeah. unthinkingly. You know, in the, well, in, in this case, unlawfully, there was well, an act yeah. of parliament yeah. which they were told about, and they ignored. They didn't think it mattered, and yes, it did. Yeah. Um, but I think the the, the, the the thing I'd finish by saying is that um, the sadness of it, obviously, is the time that's been wasted. One of the aims was to get the National Holocaust Memorial in place while there was still a substantial number of Holocaust survivors, yeah. people with a direct memory of those events, mm -hmm. alive and able to bear witness. Um, and those are a diminishing band of people mm. now. Well, um, and we, and had, we, saw, we saw the value of that sort of effort when it came to Bomber Command, didn't we? And then the memorial there, yes. the ability to actually yeah. ha have some of those people witness witness those events being being memorialised in the heart of the capital. Yeah, that that that's right. And and, and one, one could point to other other similar um, mm. memorialisations of, of significant historical events. Yeah. So uh, had had people been more sensitive had they listened um had they chosen a different site well i mean what for example one uh, it's been suggested that um york or leicester where there were anti-jewish pogroms in the middle ages would be an appropriate site yeah for something like that because it links to the whole history of anti-semitism mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um yeah so Overall, but 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 sorry, 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 but I should say, but again, those conversations also ha absolutely have to take into account the communities involved as well. Of because, course, because for example, uh, in York, I know that I have Jewish friends who just aren't comfortable going to York. Full stop. <laughs> like so, yes. so you know, so so the, the nuances come into it. I, I don't want to appear as though we're just we're just saying this is up to no, the law. No, no, no. And, and in fact, as it's the capital city, people have still talked to Lon about London. And yeah. I think last time we talked about this, um, we we talked about one site that's been suggested is next to the Imperial War Museum, which has just opened new state-of-the-art upgraded um, Holocaust galleries. Yeah. Hmm. So you know, there there are 
and always have been other opportunities and it's not entirely clear why this one was was being rammed through as it seemed to some people mm. even some as i said some people in the a number many people influential people in the jewish community mm. Um, mm. why it had to be there mm. and as it is now the real sadness is that whatever happens there will be many many fewer survivors of that awful and important event to remember and bear witness mm. when we finally do get I'm, I, you know, I'm sure that you know it, it, it's something that will happen i'm sure there will be a national holocaust memorial at some point yeah. in the next decade probably mm. but unfortunately it, it, it comes in the wake of this basically mess mm. i can't i can't imagine our government getting involved in a mess i just can't it, just, it doesn't happen, Andy. Um, so <laughs> now then, um, uh, I'm going to wish uh, wish you a very happy Easter weekend, Andy. Uh, I know that you're having family arrive imminently, if even if they haven't already arrived. Yeah. Um, uh, by the sound of some arrivals halfway through our recording, there. But uh, hopefully, people um, uh, fully understand that you know we we, we we have lives, we have lives to live, and um, yeah. yeah, have a great great weekend, uh, Andy. Have a great weekend, everyone else who is uh, having a relaxing weekend this weekend absolutely and, um, whether you're whether you're celebrating easter or not just have a, have a, have a happy and peaceful time absolutely yeah and uh, until next time take care bye-bye this podcast episode has been produced by the archaeology podcast network in collaboration with archaeosoup productions find out more podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.